Prayer is an intriguing and an essential aspect of the Christian life. I think we would all love to know how to pray better, how to pray more efficiently. This morning, we are going to consider the relationship of God's promises to prayer. Unfortunately, some would assert that if God has promised to do a particular thing, then there is no need for us to pray for that particular thing to come to pass. After all, God has promised that it would take place. Therefore, prayer becomes irrelevant. It becomes unnecessary for us as children of God. However, God's promises are an incentive, not a disincentive to pray. Putting it more simply, God's promises are a reason for us to pray, not a reason that we do not pray. We see in our text today that Elijah's response to God's promises is to pray. And our theme this morning is, what are the proper responses that we should have to God's promises? For we are going to see that Elijah had a number of different responses in prayer as a result of God's promises. So let's review the background. The contest on the top of Mount Carmel has been concluded. Jehovah has proven himself to be the true and living God by sending fire down from heaven to consume the dripping wet sacrifice. The people had repented. They acknowledged that Jesus, excuse me, that Jehovah is the true God. Now it's time for the rain to come in accordance with God's promise. Back in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, we had these words to Elijah from God. 1 Kings 18, 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, Elijah had done that. He had shown himself to Ahab. We had the contest. Now the only thing left is for the rain to come. And what I want us to see is Elijah's response to that promise that God would send rain. The first response to God's promise is to have complete confidence that God would do what God had promised to do, that it would be fulfilled, that it would come to pass. Elijah is confident that it's going to rain. That confidence is seen in the expression that Elijah uses in speaking to Ahab, verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, And now these words, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. There is a sound of the rushing of rain. I remember on one occasion, when I was a teenager, I was out in the woods hunting. And as I was in the woods, I heard the sound of rain on the distant leaves. Shortly thereafter, I felt the rain on my back. I literally heard the rain coming. So while it is possible that verse 41 
The words, for there was a sound of the rushing of rain, could be understand, understood literally. Because of what follows in the text, I think that we should understand the phrase figuratively. That is, Elijah's words to Ahab, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain, is Elijah's way of saying that it's going to rain soon. Beware. It's about to rain. Why is Elijah so confident that it's about to rain? Two reasons. First, Elijah had a specific promise of God that it would rain. As I mentioned in 1 Kings 18.1, God said, I will send rain upon the earth. God told Elijah that it would rain. So therefore, he obviously had reason to believe that it would rain. In addition, Elijah also had the general promise of Scripture that God would send rain if his people would repent and pray. Back in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon had dedicated the new-built temple to the Lord. And in that dedicatory service, Solomon offers up a prayer to God and says this, 1 Kings 8, 35 and following, When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land. That was the prayer of Solomon. God responds to that prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12, with these words. Then the Lord answered Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. So God promises to send rain if he has withheld it due to the sin of the people, and if they repent and call out to him, he indeed will forgive and send rain. So Elijah could have confidence in the general promise that God would send rain because the people had repented. They met the conditions of the promise. The people's repentance can be seen in their declaring their belief and allegiance to Jehovah. For after God had sent the fire from heaven, the people fell on their face and said, in verse 39 of chapter 18, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Remember before the contest, when Elijah says to them, you must choose, you must not be limping between two different opinions. If Baal is Baal, then follow him. If God, Jehovah is God, then follow him and the people answered not a word. Then we had the fire come down from heaven, consume the sacrifice, and the people loudly declare, the Lord, he is God. 
the Lord Jehovah is God. And the people's repentance could be seen in the powerful way in which they repute the worship of Baal and align themselves with Jehovah. For in verse 40, Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. So there is a full repudiation. There's a full rejection of the worship of Baal. They had no reservation. They had no concern in following Jehovah and making a real distinction in their worship between Baal and Jehovah. Therefore, God's promise to send rain if the people would repent had been met. What I want to focus on is that God's promises do not make prayer unnecessary. Rather, God's promises form the ground and the basis for our prayers. God's promises give us direction and confidence in prayer. That when we pray, according to the will of God, God will hear and grant our requests. A.W. Pink puts it this way, and I quote, As far from God's promises being designed to exempt us from taking application to the throne of grace for the blessings guaranteed, they are designed to instruct us what things to ask for and to encourage us to ask for them believingly that we may have their fulfillment to ourselves, end quote. So the application is, if it is so important to understand that God's promises do not render prayer meaningless, quite the contrary. God's promises are the grounds for our prayers. Elijah prays because God has promised to send rain. So too God's promises should incite us to pray as we read God's word and he promises to do for us great things, then we must pray for those great things to be done. God's promises are intended to inform our prayers, teaching us what to pray for and how to pray. God's promises should give us confidence that knowing God's will, knowing what God has declared that we are going to receive, that we then pray and receive what he has promised. Secondly, the proper response to God's promises is that we should produce a response of a genuine dependence upon God. A genuine dependence upon God that we recognize there's a need to pray. We need God to fulfill his promises. We cannot fulfill those promises. It's interesting in our text that rather than mentioning that Elijah prays, our text gives the picture of Elijah praying in verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the town of Carmel, and he prays. But the word of God doesn't say he prays. It shows us him praying. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Elijah's posture in prayer demonstrates 
the sense of dependence that he has upon God. As you know, I, I did a Sunday school series on the various postures of prayer and what they teach us about prayer and our response to God in our prayer. He is in a fetal position. It is a position of helplessness. It's a position of dependence. If God does not act, there will be no rain. Elijah had boldly said back in chapter 17, verse 1, when he first encounters Ahab and announces that he is a prophet of God, Elijah is so bold as to say this. Now, Elijah the Tishbite in Galead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So Elijah, in announcing that he's a prophet of the Lord, says there won't be any rain unless I say so. There won't be any rain until I give the word. But Elijah knew that his word was nothing apart from the power of God. That he didn't have in himself the ability to send rain. It isn't as though God even invested in Elijah that power. So that in the name of the Lord, he could declare that it was going to rain. Rather, Elijah understood that that word was going to have to be demonstrated in prayer. That that word that was going to bring about the rain would be his word of prayer, beseeching God to send that rain. Thirdly, the proper response to God's promises is that we should produce an urgency and fervency in prayer. An urgency and fervency in prayer. Elijah believes that his prayer will make a difference. We have that great verse in James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It accomplishes things. He believed that his prayer would make a difference and that his prayer would be the instrument that God would use to send rain upon this earth. And that created an urgency and fervency in the mind of Elijah. The contrast of the activity of Ahab and Elijah is quite noteworthy. Ahab goes up to feast while Elijah goes to prayer. Ahab goes to feast in verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink. For there's the sound of rushing of rain. Verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink. That's what he's told to do. That's what he does. But Elijah, on the other hand, goes to prayer. He does not eat and drink. He Praise, verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the town of Mount, top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Elijah prays because he wants the rain to come. And he makes that prayer a priority. So now, let me review with you a consideration of prayer and fasting. 
for we need the proper balance. Last week, I spoke about prayer and fasting and emphasized the fact that fasting is not an instrument that God uses to somehow boost or turbocharge our prayers, that if we fast, that they, that in and of itself makes it more effectual, that the rite or the ritual of fasting is somehow meritorious, and, and God is going to hear in a way that he doesn't hear if I add to my prayers fasting, you know, that, that I boost them, that I make them more powerful, or that they are become more receptive to God because I'm fasting. That's not the way we're to understand fasting in the scriptures. But there is significance to fasting. Not a meritorious significance, not a sense in which it boosts the efficacious aspects of prayer. Rather, fasting demonstrates a sense of urgency, which is always appropriate in our prayers. Fasting is appropriate when the answer to a specific prayer is more important to us than anything else. I am sure there have been times when, for whatever reason, that you did not want to take time to stop and eat. That at the moment you had something more important to do, something more significant to do, something that you would rather do, something that you would prefer to do, and as you were caught up in that great urgency of, of wanting to do a particular project and wanting to see it through, you forestall, you went without the food in order to accomplish that which you wanted to accomplish. I have been with people uh, that are in the hospital. Uh, they are in a, a waiting area when they have a loved one who is undergoing surgery. And as they are sitting there and as they are waiting and as the hours go on, there's often a conversation that takes place among the family members in which the spouse of the one who is uh, in the operating room, uh, a loving family member says, why don't you go and get something to eat and we'll stay here and we'll wait. But they want to hear the doctor. They want to have that opportunity to see the doctor when the operation is over. They want to have that conversation. And so they say, no, no, I want to stay here. For them, it's more important to hear what the doctor has to say than it is to eat. It is with that sense of urgency and fervency that we are, yes, to go without food in order to be able to pray in order to be able to bring this request before God. It's on our heart and it's on our mind and it's the most important thing at that moment. And for Elijah and in his ministry, this was essential. It needed to rain. And so he's going to pray. Pray with expectation. Pray with urgency. There was nothing more important at the moment than for Elijah to pray. You know, there are times in our lives, people, when there is nothing more important for us than to pray. For the non-believing world, the most important thing for them is pleasure, satisfaction, gratification. 
The Apostle Paul said, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. For Ahab, there was nothing more important. There was nothing much more significant than just enjoying the, the benefits that were going to come. Eat and drink. But for Elijah, the believer that takes God's word seriously, that believes in the efficacy of prayer, for Elijah, it was far more necessary to be praying. In like manner, there are times in our lives when we desperately want God to work and to move. Our hearts long for him to bring people to repentance or we're concerned about the well-being of others or there's a particular decision we have to make in our lives. At those times, we gladly forestall. Even the mundane things of eating and drinking so that we can pray. So that we can pray. Job said, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I will, I will confess to you this morning, there are a lot of times that I have gone without eating because I was so engaged in the study of God's word that I didn't want to quit. That the Lord was showing me things that I, I just wanted to stay there and work it through and I didn't eat. But unfortunately, those times are much more frequent in my study of the scripture than they are in my prayer life. There are not that many times I have gone without food in order to pray. Shame on me. Shame on me. There are times when it's, there's nothing more important than to be praying. Fourth, the proper response to God's promise is to produce a persistence in prayer. To produce a persistence in prayer. Verse 43. And he, that is Elijah, said to his servants, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. So in this verse, we find out that Elijah prays anticipating that God would grant his request. Go up now, look toward the sea. But there is no answer to his prayer. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. So the process is repeated. Verse 43, and he said, go again. And the process of Elijah praying, sending his servant to look for rain, and no rain coming, occurs seven times. Seven times it's repeated. He prays. He says, go look at the sea. Nothing comes back. There's nothing. He prays. Go look at the sea. That happens seven times. 
Elijah is persistent in prayer. Elijah's persistence is not Elijah seeking to move God to change his mind. Elijah's persistence in prayer is not Elijah's trying to draw out of God who is resistant, who is stubbornly refusing to hear, uh, to try to make God more gracious and kind and to answer his prayer. Nor is Elijah's persistence in prayer a meritorious work in which he believes that he is going to be heard because of the number of times that he prays. But rather, Elijah's persistence is motivated by a confidence that God will do what God says he will do. He is not dissuaded. He is not put off. He is not disillusioned. He doesn't doubt. He doesn't say, what's wrong here? God said he would send rain. I have prayed. I have prayed these six times, and I haven't seen any answer to prayer. What's wrong? That is not his response. His response is, God said he will do it. I believe that he will, and he prays, 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 and he prays. I tell you people that persistence in prayer is keeping with God's promises. Because God has promised to do something doesn't mean that he will do it immediately. But it does mean that he will do it. And so we can pray confidently knowing the will of God when we are praying his promises, knowing that he said this is what he will do, and we continue to pray that till we see it come to fruition. And we don't allow anything to dissuade us or to move us from our belief and our commitment and our trust in God's word and God's promises. We can need to continue to pray until we see the prayer being answered. Fifth, the proper response to God's promises is to be on the alert for God's activity in answering our prayers and then to take action. Let me say that again. Number five, the proper response to God's promises is to be on the alert for God's activity in answering our prayers and to take action. Verse 44, and at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. A little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. The servant came back to Elijah and simply said, I don't see any rain, but I did see a little cloud out the size of a man's hand that was coming up out of the sea. That's all Elijah needed. That's all that he needed to hear. Elijah knew when that cloud was coming up out of the sea, it was going to produce rain. He knew that this was God's answer to prayer. Even before he saw the rain, he saw the cloud. That little demonstration of seeking God 
is enough for Elijah to take action. Elijah stops praying at that moment. Not when the rain comes, but when there's announcement there's a cloud. He stops praying, and he gets to work. Notice what he does. First, Elijah sends his messenger to Ahab. He doesn't go himself, but he sends his messenger. Verse 44, And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he, that is Elijah, said, Go up, say to Ahab. All right? He's got a message for Ahab. And uh, here's the message. Ahab must leave quickly because the roads would soon become impassable as a result of the rain. Verse 44, the end of the verse. Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. Lest the rain stop you. If you don't get moving, the roads are going to be impassable. You don't get moving, there's going to be a flood, there's going to be a landslide. You're not going to get to Jezreel. This is going to be an incredible storm. Take off. Take off. It wasn't going to be a mist. It wasn't going to be a light rain. It wasn't going to be a passing shower. It was going to be rain like they hadn't witnessed before. And surely enough, shortly thereafter, the rain comes. Verse 45. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. A great rain. Ahab had left in accordance with Elijah's instruction, verse 45, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. He heeded the admonition. He went and he made it because he left before the rain had come in anticipation that it would come. Elijah, in anticipation of the great rain that is coming, takes off himself and even outruns Ahab's chariot, verse 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered on up his garment, now these words, and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He beats Ahab to the city. Commentators have sought to make much of the significance of Elijah outrunning the chariot. What does it mean? And they come up with a lot of fanciful interpretations of the significance of his outrunning the chariot. I believe that Elijah's running is simply that he does not want to be caught in the deluge. I believe that this is just simply Elijah's response that he knows that there is going to be this rain that's going to make the roads impassable. And he has such a belief, he has a such, such a sense of urgency of its reality that he takes off and he runs wholeheartedly in full effort. 17 miles because the rain's coming. How can he do that? How can he beat the chariot? Well, verse 46, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. God helped him. God enabled him. God strengthened him. 
God gave him the ability that he would have had not on his own. Application. In like manner, we should be on the alert for God's moving in the answering of our prayers. It can be the smallest movement. As we are placing our faith and trust in God, and as we are asking him to work, we should, in our mind's eye, be on the top of the mount, as it were, looking for the rain, looking for the response, looking for the activity and action of God. And like Elijah, when we see the smallest movement, the smallest inkling that God is now finally at work and is going to accomplish that which he promised, it is then time to stop praying and time to act upon what we know God is going to do. It's time to take action. It's time to tell others of God's faithfulness and goodness, to talk about its relevance for their lives and for us to act in keeping with what we know that God is going to do. Such small activities of God should spur us to action in anticipation of God doing great things. And God will help us. God will aid us. God will bring to pass that which he says he will do. So a very, very simple thought, but an absolutely necessary thought, is God's promises do not render prayer meaningless. God's promises do not render prayers unnecessary. God's promises should not create within us a state of complicity, of apathy, of indifference. That is not the way that trust is to manifest itself. Trust in God's promises does not result in indifference. Trust in God's promises results in a life of prayer and commitment and dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's promises are a motivation for us to pray. The promises of God should result in a confidence that what God has promised will come to pass. The proper response to God's promises is that they should produce a response of a genuine dependence upon God. That there is a need for us to pray. The proper response to God's promises is that they should produce an urgency and fervency in our prayer. A sense of anticipation that God is going to act. The proper response to God's promises is they produce a persistence in prayer persistence in prayer. You know, one of the things that God promises is that the Lord Jesus is going to return. And in the book of Revelation, we have that great declaration that the Lord is going to return, and it tells us about his return. You know how the book ends? Even so come, Lord Jesus. That's a prayer. 
It's a prayer. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We believe he's going to return. We ought to pray for his return. There is so much that we ought to pray for as a result of God's promises. May God give us boldness to pray his word. There are so many examples I could look to. In fact, I had to cut a whole section. I was going to go to James chapter 5 and look at that wonderful portion because it's quoted here. And it's very relevant. But then I had 13 more pages, and that's a little long. My point is, the promises of God are a motivation for us to pray. Let's pray. Lord, teach us your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to search it. Help us to know it. Help us to glean the promises of your word and then to pray them. Oh Lord, may it not create within us indifference, but may it motivate us to pray, to pray in the ways that we have been describing. Open our hearts and minds, Lord. Thank you for the privilege that you've given us to pray. The great promise that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person, this is one person that's praying, and it's making all the difference. May we believe, based on the promises of your word, that our individual prayers can actually accomplish, that they are used of you, they are instruments of you, that you are going to act because we pray. And it will transform our life and our world. So help us to pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.